Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Survivor's Podcast. Um, we have a very special show for you. I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Jan Barlow. Um, I grew up in um, Colorado City, Arizona. I grew up in a polygamous cult called um, the FLDS. Um, and so yeah, it's been a crazy journey. I was kicked out when I was 16 years old. And, um, I, when I was first kicked out, really was pretty much homeless for about three and a half months. And so I ended up, um, really feeling like everything and everyone I ever knew had turned against me. And at 16 to really come from a space where what difference does it make if I live or die? Because, um, at the time, actually my mother was in Texas, um, because of the, the raid that went down in San Angelo, Texas. And, um, my stepfather who was Merrill Jessup, um, I believe his exact words were you're a bad influence on this generation and I would rather see you just leave than continue to, to do this. And, and so I really didn't know like, um, about, I want to say almost a year and a half, almost two years before that, then um, then at that very point, uh, they had packed up all of the children, Meryl Jess's family, and my little brothers and sisters, and had put them in hiding in different safe houses. Um, I I really don't know. I believe some of them were here in Colorado. I live in Colorado now. Um, but they they still needed our our income, and so I ended up having to stay there and continue to work. Um, not really understanding what was really going on, you know. So it was quite a. It was a crazy time to to come out and see the real world and realize that most of what I had been taught as a child didn't translate. Um, I really didn't know a lot of the the basic common courtesies of um, communication. I remember this <laughs> this moment I had. Um, where a, a beautiful girl had come up to me and she started talking to me and I just froze <laughs> because in, in that culture, like they choose who you marry. Um, it, it's a very, you know, you comb your hair a certain way. You, you wear long underwear, you know, I'm sure from some of the previous people you've interviewed from there, it, it's a very, um, rigid, black and white spit like 
belief system. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of the the baseline I remember as far as like being kicked out and and really just not having any sense of direction or really, you know, at that point I was just so angry that I didn't know I really didn't know what was out here. I just knew I couldn't live under that kind of emotional bondage mm. anymore. Like I was like, whatever it is, like I, I couldn't do it. Right. So that's a brief, over- well, that's not a brief overview, <laughs> but that's a pretty good introduction there. Um, one of the best we've had. So we'll get into more details of that all later, but let's go ahead and start with your family and family history, where you line up in the family and everything like that. Okay. So, um, my, my father is Nephi Barlow, who, um, is a son of John Y. Barlow, who was the prophet before Leroy S. Johnson. And I'm not really good. And would you say John Y. was the founder? No, I, I believe it went back several more generations, honestly, when it comes to like, I guess the heritage that I've come grown up from. Um, right. And and it goes all the way back to Brigham Young and Joseph Smith and all of that. But, um, I actually did find out that I do have a a direct line back to Brigham Young. So there, that was, that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah. And, um, my grandmother's maiden name was young. Okay. So that that's kind of a a whole different piece of this, but yeah. So your, who's your mother? My mother is, um, grace. She, um, growing up, I knew her as mother grace and, um, her maiden name was steed. Um, She's actually the daughter of Alice and Noel and Noel Steed. Okay. And uh, my grandmother, she just passed away um, last Christmas. Maybe the Christ. Mm. Maybe it's been longer than that. Maybe it's been two years. <laughs> no, no, it's. I think. It, I think it has been. I think it has been two years. Um, just right before Christmas. She actually lived to be 90 and that was, that was incredible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. How many siblings do you have? Um, I, when my father was still there, so he was, he was kicked out when I was 11, almost 12 years old. Um, he, I, I, I believe so this this is the disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, I believe I have um, thirty six siblings. So, oh wow, yeah, my mom, my mom had thirteen kids, and um, I'm the fifth of thirteen. So, uh, they still she has some young ones still. Actually, yeah, they're. I think. Um, the youngest one is Chase and he is still, um, he's still kind of caught up in that. He's still in the middle of it right now. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And he he's either 15 or 16. So, I mean, it, it's wild how fast they've all grown. And, mm-hmm. and So you say caught up. So does that mean you're not the only one that has been out of the FLDS? Um, of my mom's kids, actually, we're about half and half right now. Um, okay. So my, my best friend and my little brother, he, he drowned almost exactly six years ago. The, the 22nd was six years ago. Um, so I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, it's, it's been quite a journey and I, I celebrate his life now because he, he'd kick my ass if he knew I was, (laughs) I was, um, still still in that he really did um <laughs> he, he would read the encyclopedia for fun and was one of the most charismatic people that i ever met so he um it it was amazing like he he just inspired so many people and and you would see him work with like 15 16 little kids and just they would do anything for him so it, it was oh. pretty wild um so i i I celebrate his life now and he's actually a huge inspiration to how hard I work and how much personal growth I've done since I've been out of there because mm-hmm. it's, I realize that my limitations are, are based on my beliefs. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's been quite a journey in the last decade. Yeah, that is a journey. Um, was your mother the only wife to your father? Um, no, my dad had my dad had four wives, and uh, my mother was the third wife. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, like he, um, the the first one, her name was Martha, and um, and she was really the homemaker. She cook the meals and brought order to it. And if you needed to fix something, she always had something to help you do it. Um, and mother Yvonne was a school teacher and she, um, she really, she came from such a space of love. She, if I ever got hurt, she was the first thought, right? Because of how kind and caring she was. But my mom, my mom was really smart and she, um, she actually had me in graduate school. She, um, graduated from the university of Utah. Um, and she was one of the two CPAs, in the entire community of Colorado city. So she, I'm sure that's different now because I know a lot more kids have gone to school and and done that thing. But, but growing up when, when I lived there, that was, was a pretty big deal. She coached a lot of small businesses and it was a huge deal. So, yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, how old was your mom when she got married? If I may ask, um, that's actually a really good question because I, I don't know if I know. Like I, mm. I know she was really young, 
I think she, I think she was actually 18. Okay. Maybe 19. I, I don't know. That's a good, that's a, <laughs> a good question. That is a good question. I'll have to ask you that actually. So you still have contact with her? Yeah, actually, um, I now have one of the best relationships with her I've ever had. But oh, wow. she has also taken a lot of ownership of her life and is now um, incredibly powerful and one of the top salespeople in her company. Um, mm-hmm. She was got a big award for Rookie of the Year last year. Oh, cool. Because she did awesome. $2 million in sales. So she... I, she's outside of it now and she is really, um, just taking a stand for her and it's, it's -hmm. incredible to see. That's probably good to see. Yeah. And I mean, in a million years, did I think that would be the (laughs) reality? I, I really had no idea, but. So she's, she's ex FLDS as well. Um, so she'll probably kill me for saying this, honestly, oh. because she really doesn't. Um, she, she was basically sent away to repent, okay. is how it's put, which is a, yeah, yeah. Uh, the kind way of saying, um, go figure it out because we ain't going to take care of you and it doesn't, you don't really matter anymore. But the thing about it is, is she actually was um, very involved with the, a lot of the books of the companies of the church for a long time. So okay. she is a very, I think the biggest thing for her is she just, she wants to move on. She wants to create a different life and she um, doesn't really want everybody's opinion or judgment. Yeah. And so she doesn't really put herself out there to be in that space. Yeah, I get that. So. So you mentioned earlier your father being kicked out. There's it. So there let's, let's explain the difference between being kicked out and being sent away. Um, being kicked out is basically, um, okay. So I'll give you, for instance, with my dad, the, the way that the way that it's worded. So there was this, this meeting that Warren Jeffs, this is actually shortly after um, this was. So my understanding is Warren Jeffs killed his father, right? And you've heard that story and all that, right? Never heard that actually. Hmm. (laughs) Um, Is that something you want to talk about? So Warren Jeffs knocked up one of his dad's wives. While he was alive, while, while Rulon was alive. Right. Okay. But years before that, um, 
Warren or Roland had a stroke. And because of right. that, um, he really, there was literally, it was on record and there were people that were there as Warren said, you all know he has the mind of a six-year-old and yet they held him from the people. So Warren could continue with the reign of his power right like right yeah so what i've understood it as is sorry what i've understood it as is his father had a stroke mm -hmm. and was like debilitated wasn't able to really do a whole lot like was bedridden mm -hmm. almost and warren at that point started slowly taking over and started slowly being like putting his power in certain positions yeah so okay. as that process happened no one they insulated roland so no one could really get to him. And so then Warren became the spokesperson for his father, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. because of that, then um, the whole process started and it, the way that, that it all came out is I guess that they found bentonite clay in his father's guts when he died. You know what bentonite clay is? Say, repeat the, bentonite? Bentonite clay. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't know what that is. So that is, um, that's the kind of clay they put on the bottom of reservoirs that when it gets wet, it expands and seals. Gross. So, understanding that, one teaspoon would have killed his dad. Just a teaspoon. Oh, my goodness. There was five in there. Oh, my goodness. So, um, when, when people really pull back the sheet and start to take a serious look at, like, the breakdown of this whole thing... It was a 20-year strategy plan. It wasn't like this happened overnight. It right. like there was some really messed up shit that happened. And I mean, like you sure. you seen this book written by um Warren's daughter, right? Right. Yeah, but, the Rachel Jeff's book. Right. Well, yeah. The <laughs> when and and I have to be careful how I say this because I don't want um, let's just say this is a story that's been told a few generations I'm going to share it because it's my understanding okay. um, yeah there were people that were in the room that when the doctor wanted to do the autopsy on Warren's father, then they, Warren literally refused. He said, nope, I have the, the rights. You have, I do not give you permission. This thing's buried. Hmm. So when the doctor for that thing finally comes out, it's going to be scary. 
So did they ever do an autopsy? I believe they did. I just believe that because of that wish, they were not able to public hidden or produce any. Wow. That's the first time I've heard of that. Yeah. Mm, that put that puts a little bit out. All right, back to your father being kicked out. Sorry, we got yeah. sidetracked. <laughs> um, so my my dad, um, I don't know if it was seven or six brothers and and men that were kicked out initially. Um, when they were kicked out, um, the the accusation was that what they accused him of was that he killed uncle Parley, which was a man that helped rape him or a man that helped raise him, raise him. And that wasn't true. It wasn't true at all. Um, Mm -hmm. The time that they accused him of doing that, um, he was traveling out across the Western United States and so he wasn't even in in that space or in that room because I believe what happened with Uncle Parley is he went on and then he was on life support. And he I don't know exactly what the issues that had happened with him were, but um, he ended up on life support. And I don't know if he was brain dead or if he was just completely not there. Um, but because of that, the people that were there that had those rights, um, and they knew that that was not how that man wanted to live. He he would, he would never, he was always such a hard worker and he, it, it wasn't living. He was, he was incapacitated. So when they chose to stop the, assisted breathing in and that that was something that was prayed over and it took time and so the fact that they accused my dad of it it was pretty messed up Mm -hmm. um but that was the initial reason um okay and so when they kicked them all out though they sent them away to repent and it's knowing full well they would never because it was just Warren's way of taking power. The truth is, is the Barlow boys had, because they helped build those streets, because they dug those trenches to put the pipes in that city, um, because they used to make the old um, brick and mortar, um, you know, my dad would tell us stories about how his, as a kid, they would go out and um, stir the straw and the mud together and pour them in the little uh, adobe things so they could stack bricks and, and make these adobe blocks oh. for for homes, right? And hmm. um, and that was something that was his his job for a time period, and so they they really did help homestead and, and build up. Colorado City and Hillville, Utah. Um, 
And so it, it was a pretty big deal because for, for at least 15, I would say almost 20 years, my dad was probably one of the, um, he was probably in front of the people more than most any other men in that community, other than the bishop and the prophet, right? Um, and that's because he actually did what was called the Saturday Work Projects. And um, so people would call in and he would take their call and, and every Saturday the men would gather and donate their time and um, their tools and their skill set to the community. And as that happened, um, my dad was the person that would get up and say, okay. Um, and, and for days before that, the phone calls would come in and they would schedule out who needed what done and why and, and what house and where the materials were at and all, all of that. And even when there was like, a house in a day. He did so much of the organizing to prepare to have that entire thing come together. And, you know, you've seen those videos that are, you know, the two minute fast forward videos of a time lapse of the house in a day. Right. Mm -hmm. So he, he did all that organizing. And so he had a lot of connections to the men in that community and so when Warren took power, he had to eliminate the people that had real influence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I don't doubt my dad has his faults, right? But the, the foundation of all of that, um, I really didn't understand. I really didn't understand why he was kicked out. Because even when he was corrected or what they say corrected, right? By Warren. Yeah, right. Um, which basically means that he told him that he was no longer held priesthood and all of that stuff. Um, that was just a, a big power move. Right. So then my dad went out and um, we would go and visit him, but when my mother was married into Merrill Jessup's family, then um, we would get shamed a lot of times for even having that contact or, or even seeing our father because we, sometimes we were allowed to see him. Not, not very much, but sometimes. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, you're saying you weren't supposed to because basically at that point he became an apostate. Like, what, what do you have the title apostate? Pretty much. I mean, they at, at that time, um, because they were out there repenting, they were still like, they were still giving money to the church, right? They were still paying tithing and they were writing these confession letters that were basically their doom. Yeah, they're trying to get back. Yeah. So, okay. Um, when when they were asked to write these confession letters, basically they would spill their guts. And then the very next thing that would happen is the very thing that they 
were trying to make right in the world or, or the things that they were trying to figure out what happened or what they did wrong would now be used against them. So that's not the definition of a cult. I don't know what is. Yeah. And in your introduction, um, I found it interesting um, and insightful that you called it, that you grew up in a cult. Um, A lot of people will just say, Oh, I grew up in the FLDS, but you, the title you put on that was very intriguing. Yeah. I mean, the, the reason I call it that is, is because I, you know, here, here's the real truth. If you would have asked me that question when I was out for, when was I, I was out of that community, even for three or four years, I couldn't name it what it really was because I couldn't see it. It was all I knew, right? And as I came out here and I got education and I, and I worked on myself worked on those things. I didn't know um, until I could look back and see, wow, that's a lot of mind control. Wow. The four, four tempo in this guy's voice. I mean, he, in his private books and, and when they went in and looked through all his like personal records and stuff, when they seized all that, he followed Hitler. There was a lot of documentation around the fact that he like systematically broke down people. Yeah. And so um, it's, am I proud of the man I've become because of my experiences? I absolutely am. Do I regret my childhood? No, I don't. Um, do I call it what it is though? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very real. And that's actually why we just like the movie we just shot, which is called cult cartel is because it was ran like a, like a mob, like, um, it was ran without guns. I mean, there were some people that had guns, but it it was ran basically like, if you do this for me, then, then you can get another wife. Or if, you know, it, it was, the truth is they used it as a bargaining chip. Oh yeah. And so there are some people that everyone's allowed there to tell their experience and their truth. And, um, and I have no judgment. That's their experience, but I refuse to allow the continuance of of dancing around the truth. So, yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, so explain to me what happens after a fa- somebody's father is being, has been kicked out. What happens with that family who becomes in charge? Well, um, it kind of is dependent on which, like, what different situations or what, like, what the person, um, like, when it happened to us, I think that was a pretty big shell shocker to the community because um, the community 
it really hadn't seen anything like that split clear back until like when um, the split happened between Leroy S. Johnson and the the Hammonds and, and everything that started out Centennial, right? Right. And so um, to, to see this, this giant division happen because of power move, it was, it was wild. It, it was, right. I couldn't put it in context, 11, 12 years right. old. I had no idea. Yeah. You can't even comprehend it. Yeah. Yeah. So what is, so were you assigned a caretaker? I've heard that word. Yeah. So nowadays they're called caretakers. At the time we were, we were pretty lucky because our, uh, our brother Freeman was actually the person that the church moved into our home and took care of us. And at the time you have to realize that once everyone saw that the tops of like the most influential people in that community could now be just gone like that, the entire community from what I felt turned inside out and lived in like this extreme fear of even like looking the other way or, or even um, uh, doing anything because Mm -hmm. at at the time, then um, Fred M. Jessup, who was in his, he was actually really close to the same age as Ruin was, is that Uncle Fred? Yeah, Uncle Fred. Okay. He okay. um he was there when all of that went down. And he at the time, like I'm pretty sure he could feel something was off. But because of his age and because of where he was at, he really the words he would say was, I'm not going to fight because that's not who I am. Right. And so I know people that have their own stories and their own situations around all of that. But when it all came down to it, um, I only saw him like my dad used to go up and we would have breakfast with him at five 30 in the morning. And, and, for years growing up, like I grew up running around his house and going to um, Monday night men's meeting where we would go up there and we would read from different books and stuff like that. Right. Um, the, the thing that I realized is after Warren took power, I saw Uncle Fred maybe two or three times. That's it. And that was only in meetings. Mm. It wasn't like us going up and seeing him or or any of that. It was just a basic view once in a while on stage, and that was it. All right, so let's talk about the dynamics of having a caretaker. What was that like? So... um, I was pretty lucky because like our our brother Freeman um, 
at the time was that for not a long time. I mean, it, it was probably four to six months before my mom was married. But how old was he Three at months? that point? Um, yeah. I don't even know. So if he was, if I was 11, I'm 26 now. Um, I mean, was he, he was like, he was growing up. Yeah. Yeah. He had his own family and and they, they were moved in there with us. Um, they, um, he was probably in his early thirties. So 32 roughly, maybe less, maybe he was in his late, late twenties. Um, and he was basically responsible for helping take care of the family and get the mothers what they needed and um, kind of be a financial support system. Uh, while taking up, while taking care of his current right. family that he already had. Oh. And so I know that I've heard a lot of horror stories around caretakers where that's like a, ran like a, I don't know, like a command center almost. Um, and I, I didn't live through the whole stage where you're part of the UO and that I was kicked out way before that. Um, but the, that space, it was still a very, um, it was still, it was so strange because here's one of my older brothers that had already moved out and started a family and um, um, was already working really hard to provide for them. And now was responsible for helping take care of us. And and there was different people in my family. Like uh, my older brother, Mosiah was um, working and, and my mom, of course, did a lot of finances and stuff like that for the community. So there's there's a lot of different dynamics. Um, I was so young that I didn't, like, the only thing I really remember is uh, we did, like, his wife is a phenomenal um, piano. She's phenomenal at piano. And so she taught lessons to us for years. And when they moved back in, then those lessons actually got pretty consistent. Um, even though at the time I really was 12 years old and didn't want to do it. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, it was, it was quite a time. We, we still did, we did homeschooling because everyone was pulled out of school. And so that was a part of their responsibility. Um, mm. At the time, though, I had really bad dyslexia. And so I didn't, I really struggled in school because um, they, it, it wasn't diagnosed. And, um, and so I just, I, I struggled in that, you know, but. Mm-hmm. My next question would be, did you have questions or start to question the faith 
when like was there a time when that happened um i think that really like i remember as a little tiny guy little guy where i um i would do anything to get out of church and not go to church like I would have a stubbed toe two minutes before church every Sunday. Um, but the, the problem, I think the, the biggest thing for me was the fact that I just, I was kind of like that kid that always was bouncing off the walls and I didn't really connect with it all. I just felt like it, like it was them telling me that, this is the only way, which is what it was. And that Mm -hmm. if that was the only way to get to heaven and if you don't live by that, then there's no chance. So yeah, yeah, there was definitely some time in there that I just didn't, I, I don't know that I really felt like that religion or that belief system was really my belief system ever. So I know that I went, you know, because I wanted to please my parents and because I wanted to fit in, then I would go and I would do everything that everyone else was doing. But I can't really remember a time when I was just like, yeah, no, like I believe a hundred percent in this. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, so, yeah. That's interesting. Okay, let's get into, you had mentioned prior that you even got kicked out. Let's get into that. Um, so, yeah, so you fast forward a little bit, and um, my mom's married into Merrill Jessup's family, and I go to work at 13, almost 14, and I work... Um, doing snugs and lanyards still I can't think straight. Um, I actually worked in their factory for almost two years. And so I didn't understand, like, I just felt like the only reason that I didn't qualify to go and, and go on these special missions, um, was because that I was a bad person. Right. And I made up all those stories about how, um, one more time my family's leaving me because after dad left and now, you know, all of my mom's kids load up in a truck and a van and, and leave. And the only people that stay are the people that are out that have jobs. Right. Cause they need the cash flow to bring in, Mm. come in every month. So yeah. it was a, it was a crazy time. And even, even my own mother, she didn't go with them either. So it was just me and her in a house. Um, what's called the old Oliver Barlow house. Um, and then my other brothers would come in on the weekends. So justice and John and, um, some of Merrill Jessup's kids, Tommy and, uh, and them. So 
It was definitely uh, a crazy time when that happened. But as time went on, I I was given some more liberties because I was working for um, Almadel and uh, Wally Jessup at the time, uh, framing actually. And, um, and as that went, went forward, I, I just, I don't know. It was, it was such a strange time in my life where I just felt like I was abandoned. Um, even though my mother was there, everything I knew really changed. Um, and then as that went on, I, we, we went into hiding and was hiding in Vegas so that mom could work in a professional career down there. And I lived in Vegas, actually it was Henderson, um, for probably six months and did low voltage and, and did that. But when I was kicked out was actually after I'd lived in Vegas, I'd end up moving back to the old Oliver Barlow house because um, mom had to leave to go back to Texas to um, get the kids out of the Texas system. So her little children that were out on the ranch that um, they pulled off of the ranch when they did that raid. Um, yeah. It really was a, it was a crazy time. So I, at that point, I was about 16 years old. And, um, started like having parties with my friends and, and just trying to, trying to numb myself out from feeling like I lived in a house that was completely empty. And there was, there was quite a while that I did. Um, and so I had ended up throwing this, um, I threw a party <laughs> like any teenage kid, right? Uh-oh. And uh, when I did that, um, all the neighbors, of course, freaked out because our friends came over and and out. And then, yeah, it was crazy. But, I mean, when I say throw a party, I'm talking about, like, maybe eight people showed up of my friends. Like, this was not, like... <laughs> Right. You go out to the, you know, a house party where you have 40, 50, 100 people there, right? This is just what we would consider hanging out in today's world, right? Um, right, yeah. So when that got back to Merrill Jessup, he just basically told me that I was, um, I had, been a bad influence on my generation and that was he'd rather see me just leave than 
then continue to be that. And I said, so what do you want me to do? Just just leave the entire community and walk away from my whole family. And uh, he said, you would be doing them a service. And so at that moment, I, I was so angry. I was just, yeah, I was, I was, I was really angry and I was 16 years old. (laughs) So there wasn't like I had a lot of structure or understanding or really direction, you know? So, well, yeah, being 16, growing up in the Crick, um, not too much education, right? Not knowing the outside world. How, how in the world did you survive? I mean, at what point did it hit you that, oh my goodness, I got to go do this on my own? Uh, so here's, here's an interesting piece of it. Um, so as soon as I, as soon as that happened, I called one of my friends. I told him, okay, come get me. Loaded a suitcase up. That was really all I had. And uh, left. I went I went to St. George. And at the time, um, my brother was, was there. And, and I slept there on their couch for a little while. Um, but I really didn't. I was just bouncing from couch to couch and, and trying to figure out who I was, what I was going to do. And my mom calls me up after she was still in Texas. She was still going in it. She was still doing all that. And, um, she calls me up and tells me, well, that's not what he meant. Come back you know, this is the whole deal. And basically what happened is, is because my mom was such an asset to Merrill Jessup and to his businesses, when she found out, then, um, Merrill played stupid. So it was this whole cycle, right? Well, so, Mom says, go back to the creek and, and I'll be there in like a week. Well, I went back to Colorado city and I tried to get into like actual stay in any of these houses. And I ended up in a basically abandoned trailer just outside of Merrill Jessup's house that was put there um, for one of his daughters that were dealing with Alzheimer's and memory issues. And um, because they wouldn't let me in the big house, they wouldn't even open the door. I was considered a full-blown apostate and that was it. There was no, there was nothing, you know? And so I, at that time, I tried to use these, old blow up mattresses to wrap myself up. Cause I didn't have any blankets or anything like that. And I stayed in this trailer. Well, I wandered around that town for literally like a week and a half with no contact. 
And when I finally got through, like, after that, I was just done. I, it was over. Well, I came back to this trailer I'd been squatting in, basically. Um, it was like a, it was like a really shitty trailer. Um, well, I came back one day um, to look, to like get my stuff, to even figure out where I was at. And they had taken the trailer out to the burn pit with everything I had in it. And so at that time, I just didn't, I didn't even know what to do. Like I was just kind of dumbfounded. And so I went and I beat down the door. I called my brother and, um, and finally he showed up in Colorado city because I didn't know where my clothes were. I didn't know where anything was. And they said, yeah, I go out there and um, I'm pretty sure it's going to be burnt either today or tomorrow. So we went out to the burn pit and it's sitting on the ne- edge of the burn pit. And um, I was lucky because had I not got there, it would probably would have been burnt that day. <laughs> so then I got my stuff and um and went back to St. George but because of the dyslexia I had I really struggled to even read like I um I could hardly read street science I didn't really know like a lot of that I manipulated my way to the fifth grade because I didn't know, like (laughs) it it was, it it was, it was really difficult. Um, and so once, once that happened, I basically bounced around St. George and, um, in Vegas for four months, three and a half months. And, um, finally I went out to my dad or my dad lived in West Virginia to work with him after I had finally just, I don't know, I was still really angry and I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I did need some stability. (laughs) So. Right. um, My brothers pretty much said, go live with that because that's literally your best option. Otherwise you're going to continue to get in drugs and, you know, try to hide from the world. So. Right. Wow. That is, that is pretty crazy. Shall we end on positive notes? I love ending on positive notes. Um, okay, let's do it. So you're in Colorado. So I'm in Colorado now. Um, I'm 26. In about three weeks, I turned 27. Um, and so much has changed. I've dumped about 15 grand into personal growth. And uh, I now own a business called The Honey Do List here in Denver. And we specialize in tile. And. Awesome. Um, um, I actually, I own that business with my business partner, Nathan. 
um, who's my cousin. And uh, cool. last month we shot a movie called called Cold Cartel, um, right. which the producer and um, writer is Diana Davis and uh, Paul. And they are the Diana is the founder of movies making a difference. So she actually found us about like when we started shooting the movie, it was exactly three years and one day after we met on Facebook. So that was pretty awesome. Um, And over the stories that we told her and, and, um, you know, right now she's actually in Florida right now. Um, they are now currently helping 53 kids from Colorado city in so many different ways. Some are for, for drug abuse. Some is for, um, you know, they're just up against it and they're working on education and different things. So they, you know, she's helped, uh, kids, that had like a bunch of felonies hanging over their head and prison time go to rehab and get support and have all those dropped. So, I mean, she's really making change and it's, it's incredible. Um, and I am, I sit on the board of movies making a difference, um, as one of their ambassadors. So yeah, it's, it's a huge deal. Um, and so yeah. I, I don't know how quick the trailer will be out. I know that it'll probably be out within the next six weeks to a, about a month and a half, I would guess. Um, and hopefully the movie can get out within about a ne- the next year. I don't know exactly how much time with editing and everything, but um, right. yeah, so much has changed here. And I, I've really taken on myself and my belief systems to create an entire different life. The, the month before mm-hmm. I went out to shoot the movie, um, our business did $30,000, which is incredible. Um, nice. And as an entrepreneur, we have some, you know, I have some other things. Like I talked to you a little bit about the, the micro daily, um, I'm working on right now where that that's really a huge opportunity for us. So it's, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome to see. Would you say you're happy where you are um, now? Yes. And uh, there's always room to grow, you know, like I, I, um, right. I would say, I, you know, I've been pretty involved in, in watching, one of the biggest things that's happening right now on the 28th is actually um, there's four pieces or four people of uh, the town council of Colorado city being elected. And when they remove the church out of that, I mean, the way that city will change will be incredible. Right. And so to just look back at the last decade and see, you know, the infrastructure that's been built for kids that come out of Colorado city and the support system that's out there. Um, and, and for any cult really, um, to, to realize that there is a life after death, <laughs> like 
after you realize that that's not all there is, you know, I, the, I try to read for 15 minutes a day, um, just to feed my mind healthy thoughts. You know, I really don't read the news a lot, not because I don't care, but it's just because I've realized how much what I think is what I create and where I put my focus and my energy is where my future is. And so, um, you know, I have a phenomenal girlfriend and I am excited for this movie. Um, our business is thriving and doing very, very well. And it's just, it's exciting. It's exciting to see the young men and women that come out of such extreme circumstances of physical abuse and sexual abuse and, and those things that even I dealt with a little bit as a kid. Um, and, and be able to stand up and say, you know, I choose to be the change I want to see. And so right. the thing I would say is if you're out there and you're struggling or if you're dealing with depression, reach out. Like there's so much, there's so much opportunity out here. Um, I talk about my history and I look back and see, you know, there's a lot of things that happened that were pretty messed up. And, you know, I've, when I lived in Merrill Jessup's house, I felt like I fist fought every day. So the, the amount of growth and the amount of change um, I've been invited and I've coached on two 90 day leadership courses here in Denver by one of the oldest um, self-help um, courses in the United States. Right. It's called PSI seminars. And cool. so I've coached on two of their 90 day leadership courses and, um, and I've been through all of their courses. Um, but I realized that the more I focus on the opportunity and the solution of creating the life I actually want instead of my history, the more that opportunity shows up. And so, right. Like if you're in Denver, we would love to help you. The name of our business is the honey do list, but, um, you know, when this, when this movie comes out, I would love to, to share it and, and be able to really, the, the reason I did this movie and the reason that, you know, it, it's not solely based on my experiences, Diana and Paul, um, they work with a lot of different survivors of, of different cults, um, from the Kingstons to, um, you know, different ones all over, um, up into Canada and the United States. And so this is going on right here in the United States. This isn't like it's in a third world country. Um, so (laughs) it, it is pretty wild to, 
to see how much change is happening and, and to see the infrastructure and the opportunity for the kids today, right? Kids that come out of it, you know, one of the things that, that she's been doing is she, she, she gets them into um, a support system where they, they now have the ability to go out and really create whatever they want. If they're dealing with addiction, she gets them into rehabs. If, you know, she meets them where they're at. It's not a one size fits all. And so I would say even for me, like she came up here and she helped us get, um, you know, some clothes for the winter. And she helped my brother get a, a, a bus pass to go to school. And, um, you know, she's just really gone above and beyond with, with movies making a difference to, to really embody what it means to take a stand for the people that don't have a voice. Because I can tell you, like, even I said before, it was almost three or four years before I could see it for what it was right before I could see that the culture and the cult that I grew up in was that right. And so just the compassion and the, the love that she carries is, is remarkable. And, you know, I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to be here on uh, survivors podcast. Cause that's, it's pretty cool what you're doing. And I, I really hope that more people share their story about what's possible when you realize that, your life is a direct reflection of your thoughts and that you can create anything you want if you're willing to learn the system of how to do it. And so, right. yeah, I'm excited for you. And, uh, I, um, I'm grateful and I would love, you know, I'd love to see more of it and, um, if there's anything I can do, then let me know. Absolutely. I appreciate that. Yeah. I started this, um, how you mentioned just a bit ago, it's happening in our, in our state in Utah, it's happening in our backyards, perhaps, you know, um, I just want to make people aware and not only that to make the listeners aware, but if there are people who are in a polygamous group that are thinking about leaving to yeah. know that it's possible. And all of your positive words right there show exactly how to do it. Reach out to me, reach out to Young, reach out to anybody. Everybody's yeah. there to help. And and it's amazing. Like even my little sister, um, she got the opportunity to be fostered into a family. And um, she went and did her high school in Thailand, right? And so there's just so many opportunities oh, cool. and resources out there that that had been created because of the us falling on our faces and going out and connecting with people. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it is, it's pretty wild. Um, I, the, the thing I would say is, you know, I have little brothers and sisters that are still in the heart of it. They're still, caught up in the rat race of fear and they, they function from this state of at any point they could, 
you know, they could have everything they thought was ever what they thought their whole world was torn away from them in a heartbeat. And so that conditioning, that mental conditioning of this is the only way is it's so sad because like, here's my thing. If you, if you want to live polygamy and you're two, a, three consenting adults that are of age and you choose to have that experience, that's a hundred percent your choice. And I hope you're happy. And if you're not happy, don't do it. Right. Like do what makes you happy. But when you grow up in a culture where they choose who you marry and they choose, you know, what you wear, what's, what's okay. And what's not okay. How you comb your hair, um, who you associate with, you know, it's so sad to me to see how much division has happened in these families or you think the definition of family is the fact that they care about you and that they are your blood. So they'll do whatever it takes to support you. Right. And, and my thing is, is don't settle, don't settle. Like I wouldn't have the opportunity I have today if I didn't believe it was possible. And, you know, there's, there's so many ways out there. So thanks for having me on. Yes. All right. Thank you, Young. <laughs>